This is episode number 209. How can your greatest weakness be your biggest gift? With Steve Gamlin. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming event called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. This is a two-weekend experience where we'll be exploring the concepts of different ways to develop resilience with gratitude, grieving with gratitude, and ultimately exploring the whole mindset behind what it means to be grateful and what life looks like without this larger concept of being grateful. If you would like to more details about these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the full agenda as well as all of the speakers and facilitators who will be taking part of this particular experience. The second announcement that I would like to make is this. If you enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in and you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Steve. Hey there, Oleg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. We've got the greatest game of volleyball going in the world. <laughs> we just keep like knocking each other back and forth over the net. You know, I'm on your show, you're on mine. We connect, we, we meet these other amazing people and the game just never ends. And, and that's really a beautiful thing. So thank you. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the things that I've realized about connecting with other people is that, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, when you connect with so many different people, there just becomes a point where it's extremely difficult to stay in touch with everyone and be in each other's lives. And so I think finding opportunities like this, where you can continue to be a part of certain different projects or visions or missions, I think it's, for me, it's kind of one of the only ways to maintain that level and that continued collaboration because otherwise the person kind of just falls behind, so to speak, you know, or like falls out of the radar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that's, that's something that you and I have in common. Scott Mason, the same exact way. And I just, I remember, in fact, I told Scott after him and I met, and then we had a couple more conversations down the road and I told him the same exact thing. I said, Hey, if you're open to it, I'd love to develop a form of frequency because if yeah. we don't have that frequency, there's a possibility that, you know, never is a long time, but like we may never get in touch again because right. then there's no reason. Right. It, it's like the old days. Cause I was, I was very involved in networking mm-hmm. uh, during the early two thousands. I was part of business networking international as a, uh, an area director up here in new England. And we would see people go to networking events and they'd say, how was that networking event? And they go, oh my gosh, I got you know 50 business cards. Look at all these people that are part of my network now. Yeah. And a month later, you'd go to their office and you'd see a stack of 50 or 60 business cards with a rubber band around them and a little layer of dust on top. And you go, yeah. hey, you know, how's all that working? Oh yeah, there's like two people I've kept in touch with, but they're really <laughs> good connections. I said, I see it's 
uh, quality over quantity. And, you know, you and I have got the quality going mm-hmm. you know, to, the, to the nth degree. And, and we're going to be in touch for a long time. Oh, absolutely. I'm the same exact way. I was actually recently cleaning out certain parts of the place that I live at right now. And it's the same exact thing. Found a stack of business cards. And I can't even tell you the number of people that I stay in touch from those. And I think there's a there's a time and a place for it all. I think there's a time for a place for that component and also like the thing that you and I were going to talk about today, the whole concept of weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were younger, there were certain things that were perceived as weaknesses. Like for me, it was public speaking. I was terrified of it. I mean, you couldn't pay me a million bucks to get onto the stage and, yeah. and speak in front of a crowd. Like That's how terrifying of an experience it was. And then here I am, however many years later, doing that as a full-time, not only profession, but just a way of living. So it's funny how certain things were perceived as weaknesses when I was young and then ended up being my biggest gifts moving forward, communication. And I'm wonder, I've been wondering, like, how does that happen? Is it just because when we're, when we're younger, we don't have an understanding of that particular thing as a possible skill or something that you're naturally good at, or is it just the environment doesn't truly support what it is that you envision? Mm. Well, get ready for some flashbacks today because my <laughs> younger years were very, very similar to the point of if you put me in the spotlight in, in any way or drew unwanted attention, I my hands and arms would literally be shaking. I didn't want the attention, but yet I wanted to be a person who taught others and inspired others and made others laugh, but I didn't want to be in the spotlight. So that was, you know, those are two wires that didn't, you know, two plugs plugs that weren't meant to plug in together. They did not work together. And, uh, oh yeah, my uh, first couple decades of my life were were like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. When did you start noticing that to begin with? Like when you were younger, what, what did you perceive as weaknesses that you'd use literally every single day today? Uh, using my voice and my unique, authentic message to express how I felt, not how I thought other people would want to hear me say something. Uh, you know, using my my own opinions, my own definitions of things. Where I used to just, it, I almost used to be like a politician. Let's see what the polls are saying. Okay, uh-huh. say that. <laughs> you know, being a, a chronic people pleaser uh, back in the day, a yes man and a chronic people pleaser, even though inside. I didn't really want to be that way. I just kept helping everybody and helping everybody. And I used to make it, I used to give this analogy. It's kind of like the circus clown taking pies in the face all day and falling down <laughs> to make everybody else laugh. But yet he's not happy being that way. Mm-hmm. But because it keeps making other people laugh, he just keeps doing it. And at the end of the day, everybody goes home happy because they enjoyed the show. And he walked home alone in the dark crying with his big giant shoes. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, it, it's a big conflict. And it was for me for many years until I finally decided, look, I have a voice and I'm tired of living in the shadows. I'm tired of being afraid of the light. So I'm just going to strike out and I'm just going to go do this. Mm-hmm. And I found instantly what I've been missing all those years, that it felt really good to be there. But to make sure I didn't use it in such a way like, you know, some people, especially in teenage years, they compensate for their shyness or insecurities by being loud and belligerent and sometimes bullying. Mm -hmm. But they just put on this big puffed up persona. Well, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to be me. 
And when I finally figured out, even in the earliest days of my speaking, which were not very good, that those little sparks and, and glimpses of light, people who were in the shadows would come up to me afterward and say, you know, I really appreciated that you said that and you gave me the confidence to do this. And I would always say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. But in my head, I'm thinking, you know, I, lady or sir, I barely have the confidence to do this, but thank you because <laughs> you just, you just showed me that I'm on the right path and I don't want to go back to the handshaking, nervous, am I worthy of, is there any value in what I have to say? I wonder if, because I've experienced the same exact thing when I was younger. And I wonder if there were situations throughout my life as well as your life. So I have a very high standard for myself. So when I think about confidence and courage and whatever else, and someone points it out to me saying, hey, that was very confident or courageous. Sometimes I find myself in telling that, no, it wasn't because it could be so much more. You know, and I think because the standard is so high, then it's it's um, it becomes a little bit difficult sometimes to appreciate what I have done in the moment that may actually be the most courageous act to someone else. And I'm wondering if that's one of the things that is kind of like a ongoing battle when it comes to just developing some of these weaknesses into strengths and recognizing them even more and more is because we have such a high standard for ourselves. It that the actual in the moment thing sometimes gets lost. Like, do you ever experience that? I was very uncomfortable, uncomfortable for a long, long time receiving praise. Because, and, and part of it was, you know, maybe I had a certain thought of the, the best version of me and that I wasn't there yet. So that people praised me, like, what are you, I'm, I'm nowhere near my ideal yet. I mean, what yeah. was so great about that? Mm -hmm. And I was also, I, I said this to somebody the other day in an interview. I said, look, if self-deprecation was an Olympic event, I would have more medals and awards than Tom Brady. Because <laughs> I spent most of my life just bashing myself for a laugh for others. But what I wasn't realizing is something that my mentors um, took me aside about 10 years ago and said, look, you're doing this for a laugh. You're doing a disservice, not only to yourself, but to your audience, mm -hmm. because they're trying to give you praise. They're trying to learn from you. And all you're telling them is that you're worthless. Mm. And they said, plus that little, you know, that thing between your ears, your brain is listening to all this and it's make it's, it's carving it in stone. So if you keep talking about yourself this way, you're never going to reach that perfect version of yourself. And if you're just doing for a laugh, knock it off. Just be who you are. Mm -hmm. And people will respond. And when I stopped doing that, I felt a lot better. Every time I was on stage, I, I might still throw a little, you know, story about something, a failure or something in my life, but I wouldn't beat myself up over it. I just now I've adopted this way of looking back at those mistakes in those times. And I do the same thing every time I just look and say, oh, my gosh, that's adorable. What a learning experience that was. And here we are today. And, yeah. and we're right back into who I am now and not going back into that shaky-handed, nervous, not worthy, people-pleasing shell that I used to be. And, mm -hmm. and just saying, just switching from bashing to saying, oh, my gosh, that's adorable. It sounds silly, but I tell you what, it's changed my life. What difference would you say that makes making fun of yourself? Or not, or not taking, I don't know if it's necessarily making fun of yourself, but I think it's more so not taking life so seriously. Yeah, just understanding that 
you know, anything I did, you know, my first speaking events, oh gosh, they were, they were not good, but I had to do those to get here. And when you look at all these other people and you start comparing yourself to them, the successful yeah. people, you forget that they probably failed more times than you've ever even considered trying. You know, people oh, yeah. are seeing the them now, but most people don't realize that they started exactly where you are right now. And they may have even started in worse positions, mm -hmm. but because they just kept understanding that every single experience, positive or negative, good or bad, got them to where they are now. And you have to have all those uncomfortable moments. You have to have those things that didn't quite work out that you thought were going to. You had to have those moments where something blew up in your face and you looked silly on stage. Mm -hmm. I've had them all. It's just now I embrace them. I don't hide from them or I'm not embarrassed by them. I use them all as as stories. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. those are the ones people love the most because they can relate. When you're just real and authentic and genuine and say, hey, look, want to see my scars? See this one? Let me tell you <laughs> what happened that day. I, it's it's the best material. It's my favorite things now to relive are those learning experiences instead of being embarrassed by them. I'm the same exact way. I think it's it's interesting to be able to look at some of these mentors and people that have influenced my own course and see kind of the finished product. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, looking in retrospect, many of these people, it took 10 to 20 to maybe in 50 years to get to this particular point. And it just happens to be so that at this point, with everything that is accessible to us, including the <laughs> technology that we have available, everything's amplified. So now when, you, when you're in a position to influence a group of people, that message can be amplified across the world versus 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, that wasn't a thing. And so that was a very different experience compared to the one that we're able to go through now. But I think there is something valuable in being able to take a step back and just understand that all of those people, Oprah, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, whoever else, it took them years upon years upon years of daily practice to get to this point. And maybe for some of them, I mean, that would be an interesting question for them to ask as well. Whatever it is that they're doing right now, did they perceive that as their greatest weakness back then? Mm, maybe. You know, because maybe. for some, I know for me, and it sounds like for you as well, we shied away from public speaking. I mean, I remember sitting in the classroom. I, I have this vivid memory. I was in ninth grade going into a high school called Community High School. And one of the things I used to do is I used to carry this um, book, or actually we had to carry a stack of books <laughs> from one class to the other. Just made it easier instead of having to go back to the locker every single time and pick it up and do that stuff. So I would carry this stack of books. And in particular, there was one class. It was an English class with a teacher. Her name is Judith DeWaskin. And I would, put, I would take one of the books, stand it onto the desk, and then I would go like this. I would slide down to the point where he wouldn't be able to see me yep. just so I wouldn't get called to read out loud. Like mm -hmm. that was a technique I followed for however long until my teacher stood up in the middle of that class. And she said, there was no such thing as a stupid question. And somehow that triggered something within me that said, Oh, now I can ask questions. Oh, now I can actually use and exercise my voice. 
And it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks or how they think of me. And it's not that I don't care because I think I, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if it's possible not to care what someone thinks. It's more so what do I choose to do with it? Mm -hmm. Because deep inside, I still care. Yeah. I think most people still care. Right. I think it's more so like, what do you choose to do with that information? to move forward? Like, are you, are you going to implement someone else's opinion of you as a part of your living or look at it through something, some completely different lens? Yeah. And at that time too, I mean, right around that same time, uh, guys, for me, it was uh, seventh grade, uh, misspelled a word in the spelling bee, which should have been easy, except that uh, sister Helen in the English class said, you know, she said, spell a wad. <laughs> I said, I said, A-W-A-D. And she said, no. And everybody laughed at me. And then the person after me did the same thing. And she said, no. And then the next kid goes, sister, can you use that in a sentence? She goes, yes. The student failed to win the spelling bee award because he spelled the word wrong. She meant a war. Oh. Because of the way she said it, I, I spelled what she said. Yeah. So I, used to, I used to joke. I said, my luck, I got a 60-year-old nun with a wicked hard boss that accent. <laughs> doesn't say her ours but uh and, and i and i kind of dug and i found this in my probably late 30s i remembered that and that's when i stopped raising my hand in class and that's when i started being really afraid of being in the spotlight mm. i mean literally that moment because at that age everything is catastrophic everything's a wrecking ball yeah my grades went from all virtually all a's and they started to decline all the way through to my senior year in college when i graduated college by 62 one thousandths of a point i mean it's like wow like my plane got shot in seventh grade and i trailed smoke until college graduated (laughs) and that is the god's honest truth and i admitted that in front of a room of 85 teachers a couple years ago at a speaking event and i said i don't blame her at all i said but it was my interpretation of it and what i did with it and what i let it do and fester for so long that i literally hid like you behind my books mm-hmm. for the rest of my academic career mm-hmm. and and it just followed me for a long time and one day i was thinking so what i spelled the word wrong when i was 13 years old big deal look what i do now <laughs> you know i'm i mean well, i was supposed to because we had no internet when i woke up i was supposed to be doing three radio shows on three different continents today mm-hmm. and people who knew me back then who hear what i do now are like no, not the guy we knew. The guy who was afraid to even raise his hand. That's fascinating. That's that. I mean, that is just incredible. The fact that you're in this position and have been now compared to how the journey started. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like a polar opposite. Yeah. I sit here and laugh about it sometimes. And I'm like, wow, really? A wad? Yeah. I let, I let that moment like sit in a loop forever that my voice didn't matter that i wasn't smart and, and all these other things and and now i get up on well not now i don't get on stages but virtually mm-hmm. um you know talking to people all around the world and coaching actually coaching people through their lives and their businesses and 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 their goals mm-hmm. and I'm, and i think well thank god i finally took my finger off the repeat button of that <laughs> And, and figured out what I was really supposed to be doing here. And now I love everything about what I do. There's there's no more fears or, or pressures. There's no more shaking. I mean, I'm just, I just love 
what I do. Mm -hmm. What happens when you do experience different elements of fear now? <laughs> whenever uh, I've actually you, got whenever speaking or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, if because people ask me, they go, Steve, don't you ever get nervous? I said, well, I only get nervous every time. Huh. Usually if I'm on stage, I mean, if I'm in a conversation with somebody like you, who I just trust implicitly, and I know that this person's not going to hang me out to dry or, or, you know, make me mm -hmm. intentionally make me look bad, which some, there are talk show hosts and people out there who do that. They try to derail constantly. But what I, the only thing I get nervous about every time if I'm solo, like on stage is will the first thing I say, get a laugh? Because if I get a laugh with that first thing, we're golden for the next hour, hour and a half. So I always get nervous. I'm like, will the first thing land? Because I know my material cold. I know all my, mm -hmm. I can relive my stories and I know all this, but I usually try to open with some humor. And I, you just never know. And if that lands, which it does most of the time, I'm set. If it doesn't land, I just say something like, oh my gosh, that was so much funnier when the mic was off. <laughs> and then they laugh and then I laugh and then we're golden. You know, I just be very, very real and authentic in front of them and not try to be all practiced and polished. And I'm just me. Always. I'm, so that's made it easier to just be me. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. And I think for me, what stood out, so I was watching a TED Talk. I think it was Guy Kiyosaki, and he was talking about the art of the start. The art of something mm -hmm. it was essentially breaking down 10 different principles behind a successful presentation. Or I think he, more so he was, I could be completely misquoting this, but I think he was more so talking about how they released products and like different forms of communication that they used. And one of them was he said that every time he spoke in Russia, for example, he had this picture of him. <laughs> him in the background and in the back it would be like two huge it's not bowling balls but it's cannon cannonballs oh, wow and he would and he would always open up with saying something like oh wow russia has huge balls you know he would he would put that picture on the screen and it was the same exact thing that clicked for me was that starting with laughter and humor it breaks down the barriers yeah and all the things that I hold, as you mentioned, like if if I'm not laughing, there's something about laughter that's fascinating. And I think in laughing, there's a level of comfort that gets developed. And then that trust just goes to a whole other level. And I've and that's a situation where I may never never had an opportunity to meet you before. Mm. And yet because you made me laugh, now all of a sudden it's as if we are best friends yeah yeah and and, and part of that too is you have to be very very responsible with oh, how yeah. you deliver what you do i mean you know guy kawasaki can get away with that because of who he is and how he is he can get away with that joke where some people would be could be offensive with it and, and i always try to tell people i said look i use humor a lot but i use it very very responsibly um you you do no harm with your humor mm -hmm. and you you elevate the room you don't you don't choose anyone as a target you just use it to elevate and i've found that that is a great bonding uh moment and, and sometimes even years later i'll run into somebody mm -hmm. and they'll say you know it, it happened literally at a grocery store about six years ago some guy walked past 
and I was in the Captain Crunch aisle. That's what I always call the cereal aisle because it was my favorite <laughs> when I was a kid. And a guy walked past and he goes, hey, man, you're that speaker, right? And I turned around. We're the only two in the aisle. I said, yes, sir, I'm a speaker. When did you uh, hear me speak? And we he started to share. And I said, okay, I know about when and where it was. I said, what do you remember? He told me a funny story that I told. Mm-hmm. He told me the lesson in the story. He told He described perfectly the picture that was on the screen at the time. And I said, okay, I said, that's wonderful. And I appreciate that. What did you do with the lesson? Mm. He says, I took the lesson of the story, went for a job interview a week later because it was an unemployment networking group. Mm-hmm. He says, I applied the lesson there. And I said, and he goes, oh, hell, I got the job. And I just held my hand out and, and we high-fived. And I said, you absolutely just reminded me why I do what I do the way I do it. Mm-hmm. So there was humor, there was color, there was laughter, there was a lesson, and you took it and applied it. There's no better way to describe my speaking career than that, than why I do what I do, is to reach out to an audience of people who were all unemployed. So they're going through some pain. They're in the shadows. And something I said inspired him to have a little more confidence in his next interview. And he did it. I mean, he did the work, but he did it. And, and I was so honored that this gentleman took the time to to even recognize me and tell me that. How do you recognize that humor? Like how do you, you, you know, you mentioned the responsibility component, but for those that are not <laughs> aware of the concept, like how do you understand that? How do you, is there a personal criteria you go through as far as, okay, this is an audience of 50 and above. This is a joke that may, may work for them. This is an audience of, 18 between 26 this is a joke that may work for them like how do you, how internally what do you go through to help yourself better understand that this is a joke that may work and this is a joke that's probably not going to work yeah the the cultural references are usually what trip me up <laughs> um, about six or seven years ago i was speaking to a group of teenagers and i was asking one of them you know do you have a dream car we're working on a visualization exercise mm-hmm and I said, a dream car. And he said it. I said, what color's the car? And he said it. I said, interior cloth or leather? And he said, leather. And I said, what's your favorite CD to have in the in the stereo on your way down the road? And he looks at me, he goes, CD. <laughs> what's that? Like, oh, I forgot. I thought I was talking to your parents here. It's a bunch of high school sophomores. And I said, CD, when CDs were already 10 years, you know, 15 years beyond their prime. And, it, and it's more, it's not necessarily a style that's different, but it's mm-hmm. the references and the culture references. And so, of course, in, in the moment, I just said, CDs, ask your parents. They probably use them as coasters now on the coffee table. <laughs> and, 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 you know, get out of it. And they all get a big laugh. And I just sat there and said, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> but in that moment, but see, now I have a story. Yeah. About a story about a humor that didn't work, but it's still got to be humorous. In the moment, you know, sometimes things fall flat and and sometimes people use humor very inappropriately and they'll say something that will turn off half the room. And there are places I will never go. And that's one of those places, things like politics, religion, um, you know, intercompany inside jokes. Some people say, oh, make sure you say this and zing that department. No, I will never do that mm-hmm. unless that department tells me, please zing us. I don't care if your name is on my check and you're paying me. I'm not going to damage. I'm not going to use humor to damage anybody Mm -hmm. because that's going to ruin the entire experience. And it's also going to take me off my game, which is do no harm, uplift, leave every audience in some way a little better than I found them. 
Mm -hmm. And so I can't be harmful with my humor. You know, one of the things that you do, I think exceptional well is that you prep, you process all the experiences like ever since you and I connected. And I think both of us have been able to see each other's transformations as well. When we started to write about the experiences that happen, like real life, everyday stories, I didn't realize the impact that it would actually have moving forward mm. because now it's content that you've processed through, you've thought about it. And now you can use these as stories in conversations like this and whatever other stage it may be. And I didn't realize it until recently, just the power of being able to write down or simply blog at whatever length could be four sentences, could be a page, but it just helps, helps you process and better understand what it is that you actually experience and what did you learn from it, if anything. Mm -hmm. I do that a lot at night now. It's funny because it drives my wife crazy sometimes. I, I'll bring my laptop down in the living room after dinner, wash the dishes, and we'll be sitting just watching TV. And I'll go, oh, wait, I just have an idea. Mm -hmm. And I go grab my laptop and she just rolls her eyes because she knows it's going to be an hour now. <laughs> no such thing. And I write these long, long reflective yeah. posts. Those are the ones that people share the most, like the most, comment the most, direct message me the most and say, hey, Steve, it was the end of a long day. I didn't want to go on social media, but I did. And I read your post and oh my gosh, you just talked about something in my life that I was thinking about or that I didn't understand. And the way you just explained it helped me to understand. And I said, well, or, or the funny part is some people that say, how did you know I needed that today? And I always say the same thing. I go, I'll give you a hint. I, I needed it. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it all exactly. starts, but I'm not afraid of the flaws or mistakes or what might be perceived as a weakness now. Mm -hmm. I see it as a strength. Anybody that's willing to, to pull the curtain and reveal who they really are and what they're really, really honestly feeling and then kind of get the resolution out of it and the lesson and then how they applied it, that's a full scope journey. And if you're brave enough to share it, which I never would have done in my teenage years, mm -hmm. um, then, then congratulations, because you are in a position where wherever you are up the mountain, you can look over your shoulder and see somebody who's struggling and either walk back down and hold their hand and guide them up or sit on a rock in the sun, eating a sandwich, wait for them to catch up and say, hey, I see how you struggled, but you made it here. You want to walk together for a while? And, and that's what I do with my audiences and my clients is 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 understand that I've been through all this. You know, I'm not exalted or have any great title thrown at me. I've marched every single step up the mountain, not cheating, not skipping ahead and not ducking around some, you know, what to not go through the fire to find an escalator instead of, you know, a bunch of rocks. I've been there. And anybody who's willing to now be that authentic with their journey, there's there's power in that. And most people don't understand how powerful they are. Was writing ever a weakness of yours? No, gosh, no. I've uh, God bless my mom. She encouraged my sister and I to read and write uh, at a very early age, and I've I've always loved writing. It wasn't in my speaking voice for many many years till a couple of years ago, but I always loved and could write effectively. And and thank, big thanks to my mom for that. She uh, she instilled that in us uh, very very young. 
And I always thank her for that. What's the difference? What's the difference between writing in your speaking voice compared to how, because I, I can somewhat relate. I know that when I was first starting, I was writing, it was almost as if it was another person that was writing it. And I'm trying to understand it now. Like, what was the difference between the two? Because it wasn't that I was writing about some experience that didn't take place. I think it more so became the words that I started to use, especially the words that I use now, are the same exact words that I use in my everyday speech. Exactly. That was the big thing that really changed. And I actually found myself to get even more comfortable with that process to a point where I'll throw in a joke here and there and I'll actually laugh about it as I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you can kind of synthesize everything and if you're writing it, if you're speaking it, or if you're even, even acting it out, creating, mm-hmm. you know, creating motion in action, when they're all on the same page, figuratively speaking, that is the best, most authentic version. Now, I've always been comfortable writing and I've loved writing, but what I would do it is I would try to craft. Oh, I see. Something. You know, I, what I say now, somebody says, what's the difference between you speaking and you, and you writing? I said, when I speak, I don't use any words that would have get more than 17 points in Scrabble. <laughs> you know, I don't go for the fancy, clever, well <laughs> anything. And, and it goes back to May of 2018. My mentor, Lonnie Robinson, challenged us all there's a a tight tribe of us called the digital marketing mavericks and he challenged us he said may has 31 days i challenge you to write something authentically every single day and post it on social media he goes it could be two lines long it could be an article in about halfway through the month uh i was writing full-length articles daily because i wanted to bulk up my material but i also started to write in real time. Instead of grabbing a pen and paper or opening up a Word doc, I went right to LinkedIn. Oh, wow. And I just started type, basically typing live with very few revisions. A thought would come in, I would type it, I would skip a line. A thought would come in, I'd type it, I'd skip a line. And all of a sudden, I realized that in real time, something was pouring out of me as though I was speaking it. It was almost like I had spoken it and then sent it to otter.ai and got it transcribed. Mm-hmm. It just started to come out in real time. And that was a couple of days later, I submitted my article to Success Profiles magazine for that month. And that's when Brian K. Wright, the, the editor, reached out and he says, man, I love all your stuff, but this I could actually hear you saying. That's amazing. And I wound up doing 26 full length articles in 31 days that month. The shortest one was 425 words, I think. And I've written the same way ever since. And it made it made me actually enjoy writing more because I wasn't fussing over it or, or trying to craft it and make it clever. Mm-hmm. It, it just came out and somebody asked me very recently, they said, Steve, describe yourself as a speaker, writer, all this. I said, well, Plato and Socrates were philosophic. I said, Shakespeare could be comedic or tragic. And I'm the guy who writes things like, don't let people fart in your elevator. <laughs> Meaning don't allow toxic people unpleasant to, experience. to infect your, <laughs> yeah. But, they said, yeah, they go, oh my gosh, that's you. Like, you know, that's something you would say. I said, yeah, now I write like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you've, so you've been writing for Brian for quite quite some time, right? For that magazine? Uh, 40, I'm about to submit uh, uh, article number 40. And, and wow. Brian and I, and he's the founder of the magazine, he and I are the only two people on earth who've been in every single issue. And I, I, I carry that as such an honor. 
to, to the point where every month now it's a joke. I, I send him a message. I go, I suppose you need another article. And I, <laughs> and I do the rolling eyes icon, you know, in, in the thing. And he goes, if I have to, <laughs> I'll make room again. But it's, uh, I mean, I love the guy like a brother. It's, it's such a joy and an honor to be not only invited, but expected. Mm-hmm. That that there will be something there that he says. Look, I know you're going to have something powerful to say, and he goes. And I know you wait sometimes till the deadline day to write your article, but keep doing everything you're doing the way you're doing it because people are responding and it's very real. Mm-hmm. I used to be the same exact way when I was writing. <laughs> I would sit there literally forever, crafting the message, changing the words. Or I would write the first two sentences, go back, erase it all, start from scratch again. And then I just realized that at the end of the day, I think the difference that it made for me was who am I trying to please? You know, that was a situation where I was trying to please everyone. I was trying to appeal to everyone's interest. And then I realized that that right there, in my opinion, it's just a journey journey that I don't even want to go on. Because I know it's not a thing. Considering how many people there are on this planet and considering that everyone is truly unique and different from the one to the left and the right of them, trying to strive for that as far as pleasing everyone, I think it's an impossible journey. Yeah. And I know for me, like when I recognize that, I I stopped the writing like from that style. Yeah. I, I literally just started writing and as, and then I started to embrace it that whatever comes out, that's what was meant to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was mentioning those posts I write on social media at night. Those literally mm-hmm. just fall out of my head in the moment. I mean, they're generally one take. Yeah. And I'll go back and fix, you know, grammatical errors because I always spell the words the and and wrong. I always invert two letters. So that's funny. <laughs> uh, and I have to fix them all the time. I go, oh, 18 errors. Yeah. The and and I, for some reason, I spell T E H and A D N all the time. It's like my fingers are confused. But otherwise, very few edits. I will go back and read it again and say, this is exactly how I would say it. If one person was in front of me or if I was on stage in front of a thousand people, this is how I would say it. So it, it's been a very freeing thing because I don't agonize over stuff anymore. Or should I use this word or this word or this one's more clever or whatever. It just comes out as though I would say it. And it's been the greatest gift, Lonnie Robinson, my mentor, challenging us. Because, you know, whenever anybody challenges me, you know, I'm a guy. I challenge you to jump out of the, you know, the eighth branch of that tree into the lake. Okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> if, if you'd say, I highly recommend you try this. I'd be, <laughs> but if you challenge me to do it, oh, yeah. Game on. See, and, there- and it's a big win. There you go. This is where seventh grade spelling bee comes back into the play again. Yep. Going back, using the word in a sentence, <laughs> reading it out loud, make sure that it's actually the right word mm-hmm. and not something completely different. That's what I find fascinating about life is just all of these experiences. <laughs> if I'm aware enough, they do come back regardless of however long it's been. I mean, I can still remember memories from sixth, seventh, eighth grade, or just passing strangers in the street. But that also goes back to a point of influence and the influence that we have on other people and that the words that we use truly can 
make or break someone else's world. Mm. And that's something that it took me a while to understand is that that influence, it doesn't always come from a leadership position or someone who is in, you know, authority authoritative role, teacher or whatever it may be. It could be everyday people. And that's where I realized that I have just as much of a responsibility just as you do to become cautious and aware of the words that we use because we just never know whose world are you going to make and whose world are you going to break. Yeah, exactly. It's part of my mission. It lives up to one of my grandfathers, the lesson he never even said it, but he lived it. Leave at least one situation a day better than you found it. So if I'm in a grocery store, my job is to make the deli clerks laugh. Because I don't know what kind of day they're having. So I always make them laugh or somebody in line or somebody at the register. And I love to say to people, look, I hope I'm the meanest, nastiest person you have to deal with all (laughs) day. And most of them roll their eyes and they go, if only. And then then they start laughing, though, when they say it. And I said, look, if we do this loud enough, anybody who hears us behind me in line won't dare be rude. So let's keep this going. And then they start laughing more. I see their eyes scrunching up over their masks. And it's it's such a power that we all have. And some people feel that they have no impact or influence on the world at all. And to them, I say, you do more than you even realize. Mm-hmm. So if you see someone today and you may not be having a great day and you don't know how somebody else's day is going, why don't you compliment them on something or hold the door or just say, go right ahead, you first or whatever. You're going to find out that part of that gift is going to come back to you and that energy. It's going to build you up, make you want to do it even more. Yeah. Give that gift to yourself, even though you think you're giving it to other people. And it's unselfish, but some of it does come back to you. Mm -hmm. Steve, what's the best way that people can connect with you? I know that you have a show of your Mm -hmm. own. Give me one minute here. Sure. At the bottom. Is there any other way that people can connect with you besides going on to Motivational Firewood? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm there quite often and occasionally on Instagram, but uh, mostly those right there. And plus, like you said, motivationalfirewood.com and all my stuff is there as well. Awesome. And we'll make sure to include all the different links and ways that people can connect with you and just appreciate you for not only coming onto the show, but just continuing to stay in my life and having an influence and an impact and you as well. Hey, it's the volleyball game. So it sure is who knows where we're going to land next. Keep passing the ball. That's right. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content as well as the latest episodes. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.